Hi everyone, this is Stefan. Today's Insight episode is taken from episode 24 with Barry Ness. Barry is an associate professor at Lund University Center for Sustainability Studies in Sweden. In the clip, we discuss how to define success in transdisciplinary sustainability science projects with the example of Barry's experience working with the Swedish craft beer sector. Thanks for joining us. This is the Finding Sustainability podcast. I want to come back to what is success in a transdisciplinary project from an academic perspective. But I think first, I think it's useful for those who are not familiar or kind of wondering about what what transdisciplinary research actually is. Maybe you can like help us walk through the steps of a transdisciplinary research project and how that might be different from uh, more of a traditional academic process. So like what, what, what happens with the problem framing? Uh, how do you engage with the non-academic actors or the different actors who are involved? What does data collection look like, analysis, and then what is results and, and then ultimately what is success? Yep. I would say that there's no, I mean, Lang et al. has this, this article that kind of defines, uh, amongst other authors, they define the ideal typical uh, the process. So this is, you could say the, the good basic steps, I think at least as it maybe things existed roughly a decade ago. And this would be this, you could say this coming together, getting a first, the, the big challenge is some kind of relevant group of actors outside of academia, uh, as well as even inside of academia who are willing to uh, participate in a project. And this is sometimes difficult. People are, as I said, people are busy. People sometimes don't get paid for this type of thing. People are uh, have no limited interest in this, despite the fact that they're, you know, important actors in this. So, so I, th- I would say that's the first step is to define some kind of group. There are different methodologies for actually doing this. How do we define people in this? How do we get them to participate and so on? Once you can do this, once you've done this, you have different forums or at least the first forum to try to then come up with some kind of um, common de- definition of the, the problem that you're actually focused on, who owns the problem, um, how do the problem? How does the problem impact different people, and so on? So you can work through these types of things. Um, once you start working through these types of processes, building trust among the different a- actors, because it's often the case that you have competing interests in some of these different issues, or even some of the people that are involved in this process could be some of the people that are actually causing some of the problems. Um, energy companies and so on. That this could be the case for. Then you keep working through the process, I think, coming up with conceptualizations is a common way to do this, building trust or whatever, causal loop diagrams, different types of uh, uh, conceptual models then to, to try to then build trust, come up with a common understanding, um, and try to take things forward. Um, once, once this is done, you can keep progressing through and, you know, depending on the focus of the project, depending on things, then you can start maybe looking if it's a part of a design thinking process you kind of start coming up and trying to find different potential ways that you can start addressing the problem what where might be good interjection points into trying to solve certain aspects of the problem and these are often very targeted things that you're actually doing um you could do that if you have um you could say support from the different participants there, then you can start doing things. So for me, I mentioned maybe the hop growing or something that's kind of emerged out of this process of working together with, you know, certain, you know, particular brewers that were especially interested in things. So plus there's money there to do this, which is always a, a motivator. Um, so then you can start the experimentation process, I think, and 
you know, how does this work? Is this a good idea? Are we doing the right thing? Can we, can we actually do some kind of experimenting here? And, you know, best case scenario that something actually works and you have some kind of success. If you've made it this far, I can say that you've made it probably further than 90% of the <laughs> different types of experiments that have processes that have actually uh, gone on out there. Cause usually they end up, you know, things kind of dissipate, lack of interest, lack of time and so on. But if you're, if you can make it this far, then I would say the state of the art in sustainability right now is kind of looking at ways of then scaling things. You know, how do we make this something relevant for more than just one brewer, you know, one organization, something like that. So it's a little bit of this upscaling, outscaling, scaling deep and so on that's been presented in the literature. We haven't made it that far yet, but at least there are scientific discussions in, you know, within transdisciplinarity and on all of these things. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about success because you know, we laughed a little bit about it, but just, just the engagement part of it and getting people to come and, and, and participate actually in the project and think about those problems and conceptualize them. How does, I think there's two parts of success, or I would like to hear your perspective on it. One is, is just that, like actually engaging with people outside of academia. And then of course there's the, how academics are evaluated and those typical typical metrics of perhaps publications, for example, being a huge one. And how do those incentives and def definitions of success change when you have transdisciplinary projects? Yeah, they just differ completely. And this was a big part of this Meester Urban Futures project, which was focused on transdisciplinarity slash knowledge co-production processes, that what's important for an academic is often quite different for a employee in a municipality, somebody that works in a, um, a retail store to, you know, some kind of, um, you could say, NGO or something like that. So the first thing is, as far as hard outputs, um, academic, peer-reviewed academic papers in quality journals are of little interest to most people. Right. That's only part of the academics, um, you could say, career advancement uh, mechanism that they have. So that's why the interest is there. Otherwise, I don't, I don't know if anybody would produce papers. Um, it's changed a little bit, and it's a, you could say it's a little bit more flexible um, in recent years where you can start doing putting out reports and other forms of knowledge dissemination, making small films, these types of things. So this has become a little bit more common, you could say, in the sustainability science industry um, where these things are happening. But what defines success? I think the first thing is, is just to have a successful process, however far that goes, where people are actually still talking to each other afterwards. I mean, these are very basic things, but it really is true because as soon as you start getting into areas that are potentially sensitive with certain actors and so on, the things can get very, you know, very problematic. So there's lots of, you know, contention actually going on, um, as well as just, I think, when you're defining these types of indicators throughout the process, that they need to be very modest. That it isn't that we're going to, our only indicator of success is if that we have now changed all hop production to hydroponic based on site uh, growing four cycles a year, you know, you know, year round and these types of things. This is way too ambitious. The first that we can, can we build a network of like-minded individuals that are willing to work together, you could say in an extended period of time uh, on sustainability issues. I mean, this is a, a huge thing in itself. So I'm very, I think, fortunate with the people that I'm working with that, you know, I've been doing this, you could say, in a very tangible way now since 2016, 17, around there. So, and, you know, a lot of the people that I was working with and talking to back then are still interested in the, uh, 
uh, working with me. Yeah. So that's yeah. positive. From a methodological perspective, like you said, it seems so much of the work is actually about process rather than having some sort of tangible outcome at the end. How important is that? And how do you actually measure process? What are some of the, I mean, you want to say indicators because it's kind of a quantitative way of thinking about success, but much of it is actually qualitative, I would imagine. And what are those feedback processes look like um, when you measure process-oriented? Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of it's just, I think, in, in looking at this, what, I mean, what I've been talking about or whatever is just to make sure that people are on board with you out, you know, throughout, you know, what you could define as a process or whatever, you know, more than showing up for one meeting or something like that. But, you know, they keep coming back. So, you know, maybe one simple indicator, if we're looking at that, was are the people that showed up for participatory participatory session number one, are they still, were they still there for participatory session number two? And I had a, maybe a 50% dropout rate or something like that. But then at the same time, I had new actors that came in that were also interested. So you have to kind of, so you have to be a little bit, I think, loose with these types of things that you realize that not everybody's going to be on in on the process for the, the entire duration, but they'll be there, you know, there will be a core group there and then there'll be others that kind of come in and out. So, so this is one thing I, I think if you're looking at just, you know, if we're looking at indicators of how do we define some kind of uh, success of these things? Um, you're right. It's, it's not about, it's not about outcomes at this point, although bonus, if we do, I mean, there's some experiments going on with some other areas that I'm actually working with, with hydroponic hop growing and these types of things. So if you look at this from a more scientific perspective that, yeah, this could be something that's you know potentially there that we could say academic uh, success. Yes, maybe that it's, or at least some kind of results on this that we can say, let's publish a paper on this. Let's do some, you could say some general outreach on this to say that, you know, here is a process that's potentially possible for the larger brewing community. And if anybody has a little bit of room for a greenhouse or even a little bit of land for, you know, growing hops or whatever, that we don't need to be shipping everything from New Zealand, Australia, uh, or uh, the Western U.S. Yeah, one other part of the, the success is, is the actual use and the implementation of the knowledge which is created within the project. And, I mean, typically within academic projects, you, you know, like as you said, the goal is a peer-reviewed uh, scientific paper, and it usually stops there. And, you know, how much of that is about taking the knowledge back to the communities or back to the, the people or the brewers that you work with? And is it, I think there's some challenges there. And one of them might be arguing with funders that you can give money to go back to the, to your, to your sites. For example. Always an issue. And this, this is something that actually came up in lucid that for part of this large project, because this was a well-funded project, that this was always something that we did, that there was usually, particularly in the, in the respective PhD projects that we had here at Luxus that, there was always some kind of additional money available, um, usually right after graduation of the uh, respective PhD candidates where they went back to the field and had different types of seminars, different types of workshops and so on, kind of showing uh, people the results of the things that they've been working on. So cases of this was using human urine as some kind of uh, fertilizer for crop growing in sub-Saharan Africa, more specifically in Uganda. Um, under other things going on, looking at different types of agroforestry systems in um, Ecuador and so on. So we have different examples of this, which in 99% of cases, I think, in this type of thing, it doesn't happen. Another thing, another way to do this that we've been a little bit active with, and this is making films. This is something that you can, you know, back when we were doing this, you could distribute a film uh in the form of a CD-ROM, a DVD, something like that, give that to somebody and 
somebody would have access to, you know, some kind of computer or laptop so they could actually sit down and watch a 10 to 20 minute film on results of a certain, you know, project that somebody's been involved with. So this we've been a little bit successful with that too and trying to push push the envelope in that direction too. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the conversations we're having, feel free to follow us on Twitter or to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find us on most podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. You can also listen and find the show notes for each episode on our website, along with other projects related to the Environmental Social Science Network. 